there's something outside. What is that? change. 
Now, right. researchers up in Canada, we uh, in general, we don't have nearly the interest that you you have down in in the United States. But we do have a lot of great dedicated people up here. Many I do, many I know, and do work with. We also have our fair share of what I call inmates of the asylum running the show. <laughs> but we won't talk right, about that. Right, <laughs> But you know, I got, for instance, I've, just to give a shout out, I have uh, a team that I like to work with all the time in my local area. Uh, Brad Trent, who, uh, who got involved uh, back uh, with me oh, 10 years ago when I first met him, and Brad had a sighting himself back in the mid-1970s, did a did a video on his sighting, on you, which you can see on YouTube, called Brad Trent Recalls. We got Bill and Pauline Reed, and I like Bill because he's an absolute skeptic on the whole question, so he's great to have along because he gives us the skeptical perspective all the time, but he's open-minded. And a fellow I'll just call J.C. because he does not, never wants his name published because he's afraid his employment will suffer if they ever mm-hmm. find out he's involved in Sasquatch research. So we'll just call him J.C. Okay. That's the immediate group I work with. And, of course, right here in the west coast of British Columbia, we have what is called the BCSCC, which stands for British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoological Club. Uh, try to say that five times fast, I dare you. Mm-hmm. I and the president of that, a fine gentleman named John Kirk III, his wife Renona, mm-hmm. a fellow named Adam McGeer. Now, the BCSCC looks into all kinds of things in cryptoids, Sasquatch just being one of them. They seem to have a great deal of interest in so-called caddy sightings, which is, you know, the, the sea monster that's quite often mm-hmm. seen off the west and in the United States, and, of course, lake monsters like Okobogo and Lake Okanagan and things like that. Uh, there's a fellow called a, who has a, a web page now. You can always see him on uh, YouTube called Okanagan Bigfoot, Leon Thompson. He's been active here in recent years, and he has a good common sense, stick-to-the-facts attitude, which I like. A number of members of the, the BFRO in our local area, a lady named Maureen Johnson, who's a charming lady who does good research. A number of years ago, we had a family who was reporting Sasquatch in around their property over time, and I contacted Maureen because she was a lot closer than I was, and she did an outstanding job in following up until the family suddenly decided they didn't want to be involved in any research and asked us all to go away. And, of course, there's Christopher Murphy, who I co-authored a number of books with recently. Mm-hmm. He just lives out uh, here. Yes, I'm from, you know, I'm familiar with um, several of the names you just said, including John and Winona, and, um, you know, they, they contribute a lot and are, are very, um, you know, I wouldn't say so skeptical but they're they're realists, you know. They're not just they don't think that there's a cryptid behind every tree or anything. They're very sound minded people and I really enjoy, you know, what they have done over the years. Really brought a lot to the table. And yep, Christopher, well, the most, I, I have I usually, several of his books. I usually don't associate very long with people that I consider the woo factor. They kinda go off mm-hmm. I let them do their thing and I can't tend to ignore them. And they tend to hate me quite a bit. 
And we got some local guys who aren't really researchers, but they know a lot of history here, like in Harrison, the fellow who runs the Happy Prospector store just outside the Harrison, Steve Turnbull. He's a he's an artist. He's had a a number of interesting stories to tell over the years. We got Candy with Sasquatch Canada, who does a lot of readings. Yep. I yeah, love her to death. Ontario. Give a shout out, to Candy. Yep, yep, and of course then. My old stomping grounds, the province in Alberta, you got uh, Gregor Keehan, who's uh, right now, as we speak, is involved in a, uh, I won't say any details on this because it's ongoing right now, another possibility of a property where a number of incidents have occurred he's looking into, and keep me up to date, and Sean Vila of Alberta, who's uh, mainly responsible for the Alberta Sasquatch wedge page you see all the time. Like all those years I was in Alberta, I was almost by myself, eh? just me and the late Vladimir Makotic. We were the only ones that seemed to be anywhere in that province doing anything. And since I moved away in 2002, uh, it, 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 there's been a, a mini explosion of interest on the east side of the Rocky Mountains in the province of Alberta. And these two guys and a number of others have picked up the mantle and are doing a great job. Awesome. That's, mm-hmm. that's really good to hear because uh, there's such a history there in Canada, and uh, I'm glad to hear that people are, you know, moving forward with the the investigating and taking this thing serious. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Cindy Dosen, who works with the Olympic. Wow! Project. Oh yeah, Cindy on Vancouver Island. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She, she is really wa- wonderful, and she dedicates her time to, you know, analyze hair samples that people send her. Um, and, you know, she doesn't do DNA tests, so to speak, but she can, you know, look at them microscopically and and be able to rule out certain things, like is it a normal animal like a fox or is it a deer or raccoon, things like that. And, but she has come across hairs that do not seem to match any of known that she she's able to compare to. So, you know, she she has quite a little collection going Absolutely, and she also had a, a rather frightening encounter of her own oh, yeah. at one time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Cindy's been active for a while. I've met her a number of times, and she's come to the mainland. I've gone to Vancouver Island, yes, and she's uh, she's got to stick to the facts, never deviate the facts attitude. I like that. That's what I like to see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the whole Olympic project and behind her supporting her, um, you know, she just, I can't say enough good things about the whole situation there. Um, she's helped me. I know back when I lived in Ohio, <clears throat> let's see, it's probably been about three years ago now, I was doing an investigation in Miami County, Ohio, and I found some unusual hairs in a barbed wire fence. Um, it was like about 300 feet worth of barbed wire on top of this fence. And I went down each and every bit of it looking for hair, you know, something unusual. And I found something unusual, and I sent it to her. And she sent me back the results, and she's like, well, that's a bobcat. And I was like, well, that's odd because, you know, in Ohio, they they pretty much hunted them to almost near extinction, if not extinction, back in 1850. And it wasn't until just very recently that they started to make a comeback, but in the in the area of Ohio where we were at, there were no known scientific backed or you know 
verifiable reports of a bobcat since 1850. So, oh, yeah. you know, I was able to send the information to the local wildlife um, preserves and things like that. So we were able to say that, yes, the bobcats are uh, back in Miami County, and that was a good thing um, because that was their natural habitat. So she has uh, really helped me out because I thought it was exciting to be, uh, you know, part of that because bobcat sightings are more rare than Bigfoot sightings in that part of Ohio. Don't forget the eastern puma, officially uh, uh, thought to be extinct around the time of the start of the American Civil War. And in recent years, there have been sightings quite a few places, and they were thought to be extinct completely, except for a few examples in Florida. And uh, they were thought to be gone. And the big debate now is whether or not the eastern puma is still there or the western cougar has somehow migrated east. They don't know yet, but they do believe that the eastern puma may still be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, where I'm, I now live in North Carolina, we have bobcats here, but uh, no mountain lions in our particular area, which is good because I'm always roaming, in the, <laughs> roaming out in the woods, you know, and out on the outer edge of my property alone. So good to know mm-hmm. that. But, uh, yeah, the, the Canadian input has just been phenomenal and you know a lot of times we get so busy with what's going on here in the states that you know we need to kind of focus out a little bit and uh, open our horizon up and see you know what is going on in Canada and it would be really cool to have you know some people from the states go up to Canada you know um and meet up with some of you, like you, like you did with uh, the sea monkey when you were on the Operation yep. Sea Monkey. I'd like to yep. see more stuff like that going on, collaboration between people from Canada and the States. So I'm oh, hoping that for the people that were behind that, if they're listening, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't so, yeah, that, Bill Miller from... Uh, Illinois, he comes up here on a yearly basis. I do a lot of work with him in the summer months. He uh, He's from Illinois originally, and he comes up to Harrison on, in the summertime. And but, but but he's not a Canadian citizen, so he has to go home. So he, he goes back home. Right. He yeah, comes up yeah that's right. I mean, he certainly does. In order to finance and, um, his research, in order to finance research uh, he had the idea of starting up a little tour company in the Harrison area called Sasquatch Country Adventures. At first, he called it Bigfoot Country Adventures, and I talked him into using the Canadian term. <laughs> and he was, right. And it's Sasquatch Country Adventures. He runs that out of Harrison Hot Spring every summer. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go, guys. If you're interested in anybody listening in Canada, you know, check that out. I'm sure you could find information on um, the Internet about that. Oh, absolutely. Sasquatch Country Adventures has their blog site. You can always find out the information yes. just the Internet. It's all there. Yeah. Check it out, guys. And, of guys. course, a lot of the classic, the classic pioneers were Canadians that were here all through the 50s and 60s and 70s. Many of them have passed on now. You know, John Green, Rennie DeHinn, and uh, Vladimir Markotic. Hmm. Robert Titmas, John Bindernagel, I knew them all, and I missed them all. They're all gone. And uh, 
they they're the men who influenced me and got me going when I got started and uh I'd like to say it was a lot more common sense in this type of research back then than it seems to be today. Yeah, and, and I absolutely uh, agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but 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 there there was there was feuding back then too in camps and people wouldn't talk to each other. <laughs> I mean you oh, 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 yeah, yeah. talked about that. <laughs> yeah, and she and was, was the biggest fun. Figures up there was Dehendon and Green, and uh, if uh, if our listeners yeah. have heard the other shows, we, you might have heard some of the uh, antics that went down. But now Green and Dehendon had their issues, if you will. Um, oh yeah, as time went by, they sort of broke up. Uh, and of course, Randy sticking a shotgun John Green's face didn't help matters much, so and <laughs> no, I can imagine it did not. <laughs> That's what happened. Sixty-seven. That was the end of it. Sixty-seven. Oh they still communicated every now and then, even if they were sort of, sort of uh, uh, yelling at each other at the same time. They still communicated every now and then, and, and informing every, each other when something went wrong, even though they didn't like each other anymore, or they did, they just wouldn't admit it. <laughs> right. It's just, yes. It's the same sort of thing. Well, what a colorful history that years. was. And uh, for people who don't know who John Green is. Um, now he he was born in 1927 in Vancouver, and he actually earned a master's degree in journalism from Columbia University in 1947. So he, you know, he had a pretty smart guy. Um, was in the Navy. I know. I know he's in the Navy, and uh, you know, brought a lot to the whole Sasquatch research. And you know, he. Very intelligent person, and I think the thing fascinating the most to me about John Green was, you know, if there was anything at all to this, then he he absolutely was driven to find out. You know, he didn't just mock people or say, well, that's that's stupid. Or I mean, he actually spent a majority of his lifetime getting into this whole thing, investigating, going to sites where there were reports, making reports, and had a website going on, everything. You know, so it was nice to have somebody of his caliber to stand up and say, yeah, there's something to this. Well, John Green was one of my best friends, and he was my mentor, and uh, he passed away on May 28th of May 2016, the age of 89. And we lost we lost a uh, uh, a giant in this research when mm-hmm. John Green passed away. You know, was, and uh, I miss him a lot. Yeah, John was uh, well. He he was drafted into the Royal Canadian Navy in 1945. Was getting ready in training for for the for the Pacific Fleet and the First Canadian Army, which was slated to participate in the invasion of Japan. But of course, that didn't happen. And he he was into the Navy for a number, did his uh, national service uh, term in the Royal Canadian Navy, and was just a little too late getting drafted in to see actually see action, but he was preparing for it. And June took one. She showed. She told me she took one and looked at him in that in that Navy uniform. She fell in love with him right on the spot. So that was, that was <laughs> beginning of it with June. <laughs> and they they were married in 1948, wasn't it? 
Correct. About that, 1948. Correct. Yeah. And they married the whole their whole lives there, and then um, I know she was very supportive of what he did, which is just awesome to have that support yeah, from. Yeah, she always made. Wow. Every time I was over at their house, she always made me do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she did that to other people. Now she that I'd like to see. <laughs> it was like an unwritten law. You're here, you're doing the dishes. So that was it. I said, hey, do you ever do this to anyone else? She just smiles at me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Probably not. But uh, <laughs> So tell us, um, what is your favorite memory that you have about John Green that you guys were together and an event happened or you were at a campfire and something happened? I mean, what is your most favorite oh, memory? So, where do I begin? There's so, just, Like Randy, I was out on quite a bit. Uh, I don't even know where to begin on that. We had a number of good laughs out there. I remember uh, Daniel Perez was up here once. And we were at the uh, location of the Mike McDonald sighting on the Anderson River, and we're sitting there by the after looking around and hiking around all day. We were we were sitting by the campfire, and we thought, hey, well, let's have a little fun with Daniel here. He's from California, but I'm probably not aware of things. And I said, I looked at John. I said, Hey, John, isn't this where Big Red did most of his killings? <laughs> John looked at me, and I winked. And and John said, he caught on, he said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I go, how many men has he killed, John? And John said, oh, 40 at least. <laughs> and, of course, Daniel had to take the bait. He said, who's Big Red? Only the meanest <laughs> grizzly bear this side of the mountain. <laughs> I don't know if Daniel fell for it. But <laughs> oh, my God. We ended up that's out a, there that's overnight. That's a story to hear when you're out in the middle of the wilderness by campfire, yeah. you know. We had oh, really? night out. And we had a bear sighting that night of a black bear. And Daniel, we're walking down the road, and it's in the middle of the road, and Daniel yells out, A bear! And, of course, the thing takes off, and I try to snap a picture, and I just, in the photograph, all you see is this black butt disappearing into the trees. I looked at Daniel, I said, We see a Sasquatch. For God's sake, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Because no one would believe you, right? Even if you did get a picture of the butt of it going into the woods. Um, You're right. Right. Uh, yeah. So you guys course. had a lot of good times, and yeah, yeah, yeah. John, you know, John, John had, had a lot a, table, and he had a, he had a he had an evil streak in him too. <laughs> a mis just a a mischief streak in him, yeah. But he he enjoyed it. But you know, like when he was down there in Northern California during the Pacific Northwest Expedition, you know, that's where I would see Sanderson paid a visit to them around the campfire, and he was asking about this new Bigfoot thing, and John just smiled and said, well, Sasquatch is old news up in British Columbia. Of course, Avin had never heard the name before, and he said, what? What's that? How do you spell that? What? And, and, you know, and you start telling him about it, you know, and and that was the biggest thing, you know, when, when Bigfoot became popular in the United States, the logical thinking was, well, how can this thing be here? And if it is here, if something like it has not been seen in Western Canada or ever reported in Western Canada, there's something wrong. Well, of course, with Green, he said, well, it, yes, it has been seen in Western Canada, and it has been for a very long time, and it's old and established. We call it the Sasquatch, and that's, uh, and also that, that led more to the po- 
credibility, the possibility of Bigfoot existence in the minds of everybody who was involved back then. Because when until the, the discoveries, the Jerry Crew finding in 1958, there were a few local stories of local names, but it never, ever became well known until that time and Bigfoot was born. And it became a household word in the U.S., right? And well, you guys be- were like already knew that the you know oh, Canadian yeah, folklore oh, has a ton of Sasquatch. Um, well, correct. Like there were all kinds and- of local local names and everything for the creature up here too. Like if you look at newspaper articles from Vancouver Island before April first, nineteen twenty nine, you'll see the word Mowgli used a lot from the Jungle Book, right? And a lot right. of local names. Or Sonaqua and Bookwas and all the local names. And then J.W. Burns wrote an article that appeared in McLean's magazine called Introducing BC's Hairy Giants. And he took the Tehalis word, Saskak, or Saskahe, it all depends on how they pronounce it, and he mispronounced it and he called it, and misspelled it and he called it Sasquatch, and it's been known as Sasquatch ever since. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was a, it was a mispronunciation and a misspelling, <laughs> and that's how the name wow. got adopted in Canada for this creature on April first, nineteen twenty nine. Wow, that's been a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know, Monster uh, X um, recently, well, not so recently. I can't believe it's coming up on a year, but. Uh, we started Monster Exclusive, which is a membership um, that you can join. And Thomas Seawood is in that. And I know you met him when Correct. you guys were on the Operation Sea Monkey. Yeah, Thomas Seawood is a is – a, uh, his knowledge of the sightings and area on the islands between the mainland and Vancouver Island, up in the area where he comes from, because he is the First Nation Orchard from the Klaklakuwak First Nation up there. Yes. Yeah. And his knowledge of the of local history amongst them islands rivals mine in this area. So yeah, he, he yeah, he's, he's an absolute library very of yeah, yeah. Yep, and he's I a member of the Monster Exclusive team, and uh, he can tell some crazy stories about things up there, and just fascinating. Oh yeah, we spent a we spent a lot of hours on Operation Sea Monkey when we, at night when we were watching the shoreline with the night vision. Devices and then the listening devices, and to pass the time, we told Sasquatch stories. What else were we going to do? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, talk- there's a lot of Canadian um, investigators, and it seems that there's a long tradition of the the native folk there in Canada who have been talking about this creature for generations and generations. I mean, well, the, the whistling woman of the woods, and yeah, oh, which Sasquatch, I always thought was fascinating uh, description. Yeah, and, of course, in California, you had the Omam, places like that. But in Canada, in First Nations, even here in the Chehalis Reserve, where, where the name Sasquatch was first coined, I find that they're really no different than any other community in Canada. You have your old-timers who believe the old legends and stuff like that back in the days when Sasquatch was kind of a boogeyman story to keep children from wandering off too far. You have other people who think it's an, who's pro, it's probably an animal, an ape of some kind that's unclassified. And then you get slightly more than half 
who say there is no such thing. Because they don't believe it, they've never seen one, and they don't believe it until they see one themselves, of course. And that's usually the way it goes, yeah. And the First Nations are really no different than any other community uh, in in my experience. Uh, They seem to be able to have a lot um, better way of of expressing the stories and, and bringing them from generation to generation, you know, through their oral tradition. Well, the royal history and the royal traditions is is part of their cultural their culture, yes. and it's kind of hap- hard to ha- separate uh, just stories from possible actual encounters. And of course, possible real stories get altered so much in the retelling and through time. Like the famous one of the famous classic stories of uh, a lady who is Safin De- of Safin Long, who was a young woman in the Chehalis Reserve here who claimed in 1871 she was carried off by Sasquatch by a Sasquatch to a cave on in the mountains just north of Chehalis Reserve, Morse Mountain to be exact, which is really nothing but a big hill covered in trees. But back then it was basically considered where semi-civilization ended and true wilderness began because there had been no logging or anything north of there at that time. And she claimed she she was held captive by the Sasquatch for a number uh, for a time, was impregnated by one of them, was basically crying and saying she wanted to see her people before she died. And the Sasquatch again covered her eyes with pitch and dumped her back off where it picked her up in the first place. And it was said within a week she gave birth to a, a hair-covered baby which soon died. And that's how the story went. And there was never a photograph taken of Safin long until until nineteen until nineteen uh, uh, thirty seven, I believe, when she was eighty seven years old. Mm. But you know, was that a true story, or was it what well, other people have told me that she was engaged to be married to a young man, but she was in love with another young man, ran off, that other young man got knocked up by that <laughs> young man. And made up this story to cover her infidelity. Who knows? <laughs> right, right. That's so true. And I yeah. did hear about that story, by the way. I have read about that story. So, yeah, yeah there's usually there's um, something behind all that, you know, all the stories. And like you said, they could be things added to it. But Well, of course. Like, you know, if you go by there's a long history of talking about hair-covered giants of the mountains. So and it's in almost every tribe, isn't it? Almost every nation, yeah. And the First Nations, of, you mm-hmm. call them Native Americans, we call them First Nations. Uh, the the Stahelis, for instance, thought Morris Mountain, in their old stories, the Sasquatch would gather at the top of Morris Mountain every year. And according to them, the, the Sasquatch was a tribe of large, hairy giants that they drove off in battle eons ago, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how the story went. And every now and then they come back, you know. But, uh, again, you get your old-timers who retell those old stories, and you get other people who are younger who think that there is a Sasquatch. It's probably an ape of some kind. Uh, A number of people who have seen it because they live in the area and claim reports and sightings, and then you get the other batch of the population who have never seen anything, and they say there is no such thing. It's just it's just mythology. Mm-hmm. But again, 
it's the same thing. And one thing I discovered, I don't know about the United States, but here in Canada, I found out the hard way that when you're talking about Sasquatch and you're dealing with a particular First Nation, don't mention any other First Nation. Because the odds are they don't like each other. And they tend to clam up if they think you're talking about a pe- if you're dealing with a people that they, they particularly don't like. <laughs> it's, mm. it's like old grievances that go back generations. They can't even remember why, but they still don't right. like Right. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, and, we you know, talking out. about that, we about people never having a sighting, um, I know for myself now I've never had an eyewitness encounter on I've never seen one of these things. Um, I hear a lot of crazy sounds around this area, but I can't say I've ever seen one. I know plenty of people who have. Mm. Now, for you, I don't believe that you've ever had an actual eyewitness encounter. Have Have you, Thomas, where you can say 100% you, you know they exist? In 2004, I saw a figure about a mile away. But like I said, I've always been stick to the facts, never deviant facts. I saw a figure. It was jet black in color. It appeared to be walking upright, but was so far away I couldn't see any detail. If that was a Sasquatch, I have seen one. If it was not a mm-hmm. Sasquatch, it's just a big odd man way up there. I still have not. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was. It was rather large size, though, for a yeah. typical man. For a Sasquatch, if my memory is accurate. Wow. Because I think if I put a person, I went up there now and put a person where I saw this thing, and I stood at the vantage point where we were, uh, I think he was big even for a Sasquatch. <laughs> but, again, Dang. memory plays strange tricks. We've discussed this before in other programs. You know, you know, you go to an area where you, where you haven't been in 20 years, and you can't believe how different it looks. Right. You know, everything either seems bigger or a lot smaller than you remember. You know, mem- the human memory plays strange tricks. All I know is the, uh, the I had a witness in the car with me, a fellow named John Miles, who's a caretaker up there at Twenty Mile, and he saw it too. And the, another interesting thing is, when since then, when I've talked to John about it, his memory of the whole event seems to be a little different than mine. So, hmm. there you go. <laughs> but it was yeah, I don't like know what I would do if I ever came face to face with one of these things. Um, I, I heard it's a life changer. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about I know. that. Yeah, no so I, I don't know it. what I'd ever do. I mean, in a way, I want to see one if they truly exist, but in a way, I don't know that I really need to see one because of the stories I've heard from people who wish. That have actually seen one and wish to God they never have. You know, so it can, it can go both ways. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you, Julie, if I was with you and you got a Sasquatch, I would definitely get photographic evidence as it carried you away. <laughs> that's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> you know that that seems that's funny because I somebody else told me that because I spend a lot of time out here at my fire pit alone at night. <laughs> When all these weird, strange howls and screams and wood knocks are going on, and they're like, now make sure you point the camera, because I have night vision equipment, and they're like, make sure you point the camera right at the um, fire pit, so if one does take you off, we can at least, you know, see for sure it exists. Yeah. (laughs) It's never, oh, I'd, I'd be so heartbroken.
looking if something happened to you, Julia. So just make sure that you take one for the team and you have that camera pointed right where you're sitting. And Julie, you go down. Uh, you died a heroine's death. That's right. By God, I <laughs> never have seen it again. But by God, I, I got that proof I was looking for, right? Yeah, we see. We got the proof. We call it the Julie the Julie footage. Oh Lord. Oh man, that's I, funny. I piercing screen coming out over it. Exactly. What the heck? I mean, I'm always messing with Shane and Gunner and them about taking one for the team, you know, and I'm like, hey, man, I like taking one for the team, but no, no, that's not going to happen, you know. This or that's not going to happen. You know, go go out there and just sit in complete darkness by yourself in the middle of the URI, and yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, come on, take one for the team. Take one for the team, but if you get the film, save me, you bums. <laughs> Right. Uh, that's funny stuff, though, because we're always messing around about that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a life-changing event for some people. Um, it certainly is. I mean, I've, I've had so many people that I've talked to who I come across people all the time. Oh, I've got to go out in the bush all the time. I've been trapping or hunting for 50 years, never seen so much of a footprint that I – if there was such a thing, I would have seen something. And I've had so many people who were like that, then they did see something, and they couldn't believe it themselves. Right. And they were absolutely stunned. And, and they said, well, before that happened, I sure didn't believe it, but I do now. You know? Yeah, and, and they're almost reluctant to tell people because they know that most people are going to think they're nuts. So. Yeah. For they're every the story same. that we are told, I'm sure there's countless ones that we'll never hear. And those are the stories that I find fascinating, give more credence to, because they were very reluctant to talk about it, mm-hmm. and they want confidentiality. They don't want publicity, and that's one of the biggest problems in this field today, with uh, especially in the U.S., because you have the the film industry that does, puts out these silly TV shows all the time. Seeing a Sasquatch has become trendy, and people are making things up just hoping to get on these shows. I think that's... A, uh, I yeah, think I mean, there there can be a such thing as oversaturation, but I think it's starting to, to tilt the other way now. Uh, certain shows been off for the air for a while, and, you know, I think people are hoping something comes along. On TV, I'd like to see something like the old In Search of come back again, and you know somebody very serious. Duck Dynasty looks for Bigfoot, basically, is the way the best way to describe them all. And I mean, even though they get good ratings and people that are on the show mean well and they have good intentions, you know, it's the producers of these shows that are the ones pushing for the the silly end of things. Of course. So and, to find uh, a producer that's pretty serious about this and move forward mm-hmm. with the show, I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Monster yeah, Exclusive well, sure would like for it to. Even the show of Finding Bigfoot uh, that just recently ended, um, that first season, the cast, to their credit, told the producers, hey, we are not going to participate in any, any uh, obvious hoaxing because some of the people in the background – behind the camera were doing things to try to make something exciting happen and the cast to their credit 
stuck together yeah. and said, no more of that. And I understand a number of people behind the cameras were let go after that. So that was a good thing, even though I, I did find the show rather silly. <laughs> yeah, and they, they certainly did step in there and say, uh, no, <laughs> this is not <laughs> what we planned. But, yeah, yeah I, I certainly think that I've heard talk that there are there are some people, some producers out there from Canada, actually, who are discussing and uh, looking into doing some documentaries or even a mini-series about the whole Sasquatch phenomena. Um, and I'm I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. You know, I just caught wind of this just about a week ago, so it's not being made public. I can't, you know, say who told me or anything like that, but I can say that there's definitely people out there who are interested in making a new show about that in Canada. Well, there's a couple of them that have contacted me over a while, and it wasn't that long ago. In 2016, I did a couple episodes for a First Nation documentary called Red Earth uh, Uncovered, and they did a very good job uh, on the show, and you could still find that on the Internet. They just punch in Red Earth Uncovered, and you can go back, and they did an episode here in the West Coast. They did an episode in Alberta. And, of course, they do other episodes, and they're looking at the Sasquatch from the First Nation perspective. And you get a, a great sense of how First Nations kind of look at this uh, through that program. And what's the name of the program? Red Earth Uncovered. Red Earth Uncovered. Okay, cool. I'll have to mm-hmm. check that out. Yeah, and I did. I just did a an episode of the CBC show Still Standing uh, earlier this winter. I don't think it will be aired to about this time next year, though. I have no idea. And I think he came out with a sort of like a tongue-in-cheek attitude to Horde's thing. But spending the day out with me, I got the impression I had them thinking seriously about it. So all we can do is wait and see what they do. That's a problem with these yeah. shows. Quite often, when you're a researcher, they try to they try to mislead you. And they say they're going to do it one way, and when you see the uh, edited uh, result, they, they, they tend to, uh, uh, to go a completely different direction. Yeah. yeah I remember there was, a, there was a new, uh, I did this down in Washington, it was the new In Search Up, which was uh, uh, really not nearly as good as the original. Mm-hmm. And again, they tended to over, go overboard, and they edited the program, and you got me saying the Sasquatch is a creature to avoid and dread. In other words, they're trying to say there was a monster out there killing people and stuff like that, which really angered me because what I actually said was if you go by First Nation oral history tradition, you get the impression quite often that the Sasquatch is a creature to avoid and dread. And they edited all that before avoided dread out. Yeah. You end up saying something completely different than what you actually said, and that happens all the time. The BBC, yeah. the British Broadcasting Corporation, is notorious for this. That's why I don't like doing anything with them anymore, because they've done it to us a number of times. And, and that, but that's the chance you take. You just hope for the best. If they seem like they're yeah. honest, and I can right. say a lot of them have been, but a lot of them, they it's try like to the pull shock and all. want the shock yeah. and all of, of the Yeah, they the have, stuff, they have the agenda. They're not letting you know it. They just want you to do your thing on the show, and they'll edit it to, for, to get you to say what they were hoping you would say rather than what, rather than what you really did say. Huh. 
And that happens quite a bit, too. That's all part of the game, and that's the game continues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it does. Yeah. yeah. But up here in Canada, like back in the, in, in the 70s and the 80s, yeah, I, I do have to admit I miss those days because the documentaries back then, you know, with John, myself, Titmouth, DeHinden, uh, uh, Grover Krantz, they, they all seem to be, there's a mystery out here, here's here's the evidence, then they let the audience decide whether or not they right. want to accept it. Or, right. Yeah, well, the good old now, days of documentaries yeah. when they presented yeah, what the but, person was actually saying. and yeah, duck, <clears> duck, <throat> But now it's Duck Dynasty hunts Bigfoot. <laughs> Basically what they all are. And and there's so much of that now. I mean, it's uh, and it's made seeing Sasquatch become trendy. So people are making up nonsense and going all out of their way to fake stuff, just hoping to get on the show. I've had, I when Finding Bigfoot was running, I had a number of people report things to me, hoping I would refer to them to the show because they wanted to be on the show. And to me, that was just a big red flag on their whole story. Right. Right. Well, now they, you were you involved in any, any of the Finding Bigfoot shows on TV? Yeah, they did an up. They did an episode up here uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you remember that episode was which is squatchier, Washington State or British Columbia? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, they were up here. I, all that's all the people that were in the that uh, town hall meeting were people from my files that I asked to go. Nice. And they uh, did a lot of filming. Uh, I couldn't believe how much filming they did just for that few minutes that they actually put on television. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah. But they, they, yeah, they did that episode up here, and I, and I, and I was the one that was showing them around. And <laughs> it, it was so. How funny. did I miss that? Were you actually on camera? In the background, I, I didn't want to go in front of the camera to be part oh, of the show. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I don't remember seeing you on. I would have remembered that. So you you were one of those people that you know I don't want to actually be on camera, but yeah, I can show quite, you all quite, the quite, cool stuff. Quite frankly, I, I was never a fan of the show, but I did know the cast members, and I, I know they're they're uh, a lot of them are good researchers, like James Fay or Bobo, and I know uh, uh, Cliff Brackman, and I know they do serious research, and I also know they do things on that show they would not do in their own research because, but they do it because that's what the show demanded. And of course, I've known I've yeah. known Matt Moneymaker for many years. Uh, I don't agree with everything Matt says, but at the same time, he doesn't agree with everything I say either. So, right? Yeah, yeah. And Matt, so I'm you know, only, people only one of the show I love or hate him, but I'm telling you, Matt has brought a lot to the table, and you know, for that, you oh, gotta absolutely. Give him but when it came to the show, the only one I didn't know or never met before was was, was the woman Renee, the skeptic. And quite frankly, half the time I thought she was the one with the most common sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. A woman was the one with the most common sense. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> but yeah, um you know the but Canadian, she was the resident skeptic. Yeah, yeah she was a resident skeptic. Yeah. But and the you gotta Canadian have Canadian um, input has been far reaching and and there for many decades and uh you know, I just hope people that listen to the show will remember that and, 
you know, spend the time, if, if they're not familiar with some of the people that we talked about in the show today, that they would, you know, get online and look them up and read their stories and find out a little bit more about them and, you know, because there's always something you can learn. Are you still there? Well, it looks like I lost Thomas again. Must be having a a bad connection. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and close out the show. We're getting right at the – got about five minutes left, so I'm going to go ahead and close up the show. Um, I appreciate you all listening to the show again, and I tell you, next month we, we're going to be talking about Ivan Sanderson and the stuff that he brought to the table. You know, a lot of people, there's controversy that surrounds Ivan to this day, but, you know, he does have a long history there, and uh, that is what we're going to do for next month. And I appreciate you joining us for another episode of On the Shoulders of Giants, Talking Old Timers with Thomas. Thank you all for listening. Radio.